As Dick said, my name is Wanda Morgan, and I spent my career life as a clinical psychologist. And I sort of feel like I put together, my passion was to put together my faith in Jesus and the knowledge and truth I knew from the Bible and the principles and research from psychology and what I had learned about neuropsychology, psychiatry, to try to help God's people be all that he intended them to be. Because there's so many things under the fall that get in our way of actually doing that. Um, so today, we're going to, um, this is the fourth part of the series, um, Shalom. And one of the things I learned from Dick and Sam and with Anne, I have, I've had a wonderful time spending time with them and planning and discussing all these things. Because I really had a picture that Shalom was more just feeling calm and peaceful as opposed to the bigger picture of the definition of shalom. Whoops, I missed one. Oh, well, that the definition of shalom... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already getting confused, and I just started. How does that happen? Okay, over the past three, three weeks, we have had shalom with God, if you haven't been here before, and the key biblical truth for that was God has made peace with us, and Dick gave us that lesson. And the week after that was Shalom with Creation, and Anne gave us that lesson. And the key biblical truth was Christians are called to join with God in restoring Shalom to the natural world. And then last week, Sam presented Shalom with others. All human beings are our neighbors, so let's work toward their Shalom, their wholeness, well-being, and flourishing. So the definition of Shalom that we have been using for the whole week, or our whole Four weeks has been shalom is the intended wholeness, well-being, and flourishing of all God's interrelated creation. So it's everything the way God wants it, at, at every time, all the time, all the pieces working together perfectly to present us with the life he wants for us. And sort of in summary of what we've learned, uh, Dick talked about we had perfect shalom with God at creation. We had perfect fellowship. With God and Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with each other, and then came the fall, and our shalom was vandalized. We immediately began to have conflict with each other, conflict with God as well. And then all of that fallenness has been um, perpetrated, disunity among people and also with God's creation. But however, God has made a provision for restoration of our shalom. He has given us his son, Jesus, to help restore perfect shalom with him. And we're in the journey now to do the best we can with that on this planet. But we do know that it will come when Jesus comes again. So shalom with ourself in our fallen world is not just feeling peaceful or joyful like I mentioned before. It's responding to any situation we're in in exactly the way Jesus would have responded to it. And we have his model. And one of the conversations Dick and I had was really helpful to me with that. And I began to look at some of the examples of that. Jesus cleansing the temple when he was angry was shalom because it was what God would did in that moment, in that situation. Shalom is not feeling passively calm when evil is going on. Another situation, Jesus felt sorrow in Gethsemane. He wasn't just calm and happy and everything was fine. So we don't have to expect that of ourselves, that we're always going to be calm and happy and everything's fine. 
Another example is, what if we had a child that did not experience any fear? How safe would that child be? They might not be long for this world. Fear is a God-given gift that protects us, protects our life. Um, and there are children like that, and they're very difficult. Uh, there's a brain problem with them. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking an extreme case of that. And what about healthy guilt or shame? Imagine trying to create a community where no one felt guilt ever and no one felt shame ever. Now, there's toxic guilt and shame, which that's not what I'm talking about. But guilt and shame are actually God-given feelings that help us learn to live in relationship with each other. Because when we don't do it right, we go, oh, that's not right. I don't want to be that way. Okay. So we're looking for how do we be and act in the way God would act in every situation. My picture is that when Shalom was broken with God, the next step that happened was Shalom was broken within ourself. And then when the Shalom was broken within ourself, Shalom then became broken with creation and then with others. That they were the brokenness of Shalom in self was the, led to the other two. And that when we're fixing that, we kind of have to go in the same order. The more Shalom we have with ourself, the better able we will be to have shalom with creation and shalom with God, or with uh, others. If you think about it, um, whenever I'm not experiencing shalom, one of my tendencies would be to say, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. Even Adam, the woman you gave me, <laughs> she's the one, it's her fault, not mine. Or if... I'm not feeling shalom. My other thought sometimes is, if you would only do this, or if you would only stop that, or if you would only make, give me this, I would be fine. So that very blaming of the other for who I am, or what I'm not experiencing in shalom, that is a manifestation of the brokenness. The other way we destroy creation is we believe this lack of shalom. If I can just get something... If I can have enough of, a big enough house, a great car, whatever, then I will feel peaceful and shalom again. So we then destroy the resources trying to gain the money or whatever we want to, to be able to fix this inside. So that's kind of been my picture of the kind of chain reaction that we have. So to look at all of this, how do we really come to know deeply that the truth is you... And creation are really my gifts to enjoy. And the more I use my energy and my resources to bless you, the actually the more blessed I'm going to be, the more shalom I'm going to have. So I thought I wanted to look at the three parts. They're kind of the general in philosophy, the three parts of the human being, which we generally see as our body, our soul, and our spirit. And this is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And how... We're not going to talk too much about the spirit today because we learn about how to help our spirit grow in services and church and Bible studies regularly. We're going to focus more on the body and the soul today. But we are a triune being, and we need to look at each one of those individually. So the body is your physical self, your flesh and blood, your arms and legs and all the organs of your body. And your soul is generally thought of as your, your will, I get to choose. I have God has given us free will. We are not robots. 
my thinking and my emotions. And then the spirit is obviously the eternal part of us that will live forever in heaven with God. And they all interact with each other. They are not independent. What happens in our body affects our emotions. What happens in our spirit affects our body. Okay. Um, so let's look first at um, our emotion, at how our emotional and physical bodies go together. What happens in our body affects what happens in our emotions and our mind. And what happens in our mind affects our body. You know, like when we have a lot of stress, our emotions aren't going so well. And some, but some basic assumptions first. Um, our father is not a narcissist who needs anything from us. He doesn't give us a set of hoops to jump through just because he thinks he'd like to see us do it his way. He's a good and generous father who says, I am going to give you the secrets of the universe, the way I made it, and I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do to have the very best life on this planet. And his guidelines aren't arbitrary. Uh, an example that I use, uh, if my son came to me, you know, he's 10 or 12 years old, and he goes, Mom, can I go swimming in the lake? Sure, you can go swimming in the lake. However, I want you to clean your room first. Well, that's an arbitrary condition. I could have said you had to mow the lawn, or I could have said, yeah, you can just go. But what if I look at him and I say, yeah, honey, you can go swimming, but you've got to take those bricks out of your pocket first. That's the kind of rules that God gives us. You've got to take the bricks out of your pocket first. If you want shalom and you want joy and peace, you have to, this is the way it works. It's not a trick. It's the way it works. So to have true shalom, we're going to have to conform ourselves to the reality that nothing that we trust no person, no thing, no activity in itself can give us the shalom unless we can conform to Jesus and we're using it the way he wants us to. And if you think about it, trusting in all those things to help give us shalom, peace, happiness, joy, uh, that's what we call idolatry, and we know that doesn't work very well. So let's start with our bodies. Um, the most significant part of our body that influences our behavior and our thoughts and our feelings is our brain. Okay. And our brain, unfortunately, under the fall, is an organ of our body that can malfunction just like any other organ of our body, like our kidneys or our liver or our pancreas. And when it does, it causes emotional changes, it causes behavioral changes, and it causes cognitive changes. So we're going to talk about that some, because sometimes I think we live in a guilt situation or fail to have mercy for people who are... Something's happening that's not their free will choice, okay? The first way that uh, your brain can get messed up is prenatally. You know, you're, you come out of the womb and something's not right there. It could be because it's genetic, or it could be chemical. For example, the alcohol or drug-addicted mom, who those chemicals affected the development of the baby's brain. Or a mom that's living in a toxic environment, and those toxins get into the baby's blood system and damage the brain. Okay. <clears throat> also, is just physical damage after birth. You know, you could have any kind of trauma. It might be child abuse, where you know somebody that's shaken baby syndrome, or somebody just hits you wrong, or you could just fall down the stairs and have a 
a concussion that damages part of your brain that either that actually causes that part of your brain not to function, or you could have a stroke. There are a number of things that can damage it physically. There's also chemical damage. I have a story of a person I've known for a long time who's been a drug addict pretty much all of his life. I was talking to his father years ago, a number of years ago, and said, what's the difference between your oldest son, who's been such a mess, and this man was a deputy sheriff in Lubbock, Texas. You know, he fine, upstanding, godly man, and I knew the grief he had had over that. And your younger son, who's just been, a, he's, he was like this wonderful, never even applied for a job because people came and looked for him, just a wonderful, godly man. And the father said, I think it was the morphine. Uh, what morphine? He goes, well, you knew he had spinal meningitis when he was like 10 or 11. I said, yeah. Well, all they did then was put him in his room, taking morphine for three to four weeks for the pain because it was viral meningitis, and the hospital was full. And this West Texas father said, I think it changed his brain. And this Ph.D. psychologist said, I'm absolutely sure it did. So his brain was set up to be predisposed to be addicted to things that affected his endorphin system at the age of 10 or 11. You know, so sometimes we just don't know what happened and what didn't happen. Um, another is just poor training. We don't think about our brain as an organ that needs to be trained, but in fact it is. We learn the brain skill of how to calm ourselves. Every time a baby cries and mom or dad or someone picks them up and oh, honey, it's going to be okay, and their brain goes from upset to calm. You're actually creating a neural circuit from the upset feeling, whatever, whatever flavor it is, angry, sad, mad, fear, to a calm place. So we're just like when you push them down the driveway on that bicycle, and every time you do it, they get a little better, it's the same way with brain skills of things like calming. Or the prefrontal cortex is trained to help us make good decisions. We actually call it the executive control center. My granddaughter used to say to her brother, older brother when he got in trouble, she'd go, poorly developed prefrontal cortex. <laughs> um, and then there's also just genetic malfunctions and neurotransmitters. You know, you have a genetic predisposition to not have enough serotonin, so you're anxious, depressed, or you have a genetic thing to have bipolar or something like that. So... Some of the things we have said are character issues really aren't. Um, and our, the other second part of the body I'd like to talk about is just taking care of ourselves. Bi our body's are God's gift, and it doesn't work well if we don't take care of it. And if you think about it, God's actually talked about that in the Bible. He said, um, Jesus said, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about rest. He was declaring that Sabbath was for you. It wasn't another rule to follow, another burden to bear, so you made sure you didn't do anything wrong and walk half, more than half a mile or whatever the Pharisees had set up. And now we know when, the, when you sleep, the brain cleanses itself. And that cleansing can actually help present, prevent things like Alzheimer's. It's like the lymph system of your body. There's a kind of lymph system. It's not that. It's an equivalent in your brain. We know that new learning, if you go to school and learn something in the day, during the day, when you go to sleep, it's consolidated into long-term memory at night when you're sleeping. We know that, I actually have, one of my favorite authors is John Piper, and he said, think about it. 
if you just miss two hours sleep tonight, is that really going to have that big an impact on the overall plan of God's eternal purposes for the universe? Or is it going to affect your body more and how you might treat people more? And just think about it. How do you treat people around you when you're tired? Uh, how effective are we at doing what we want to do when we're tired? So that's just an example. Um, we're not going to go into all the ways you could take care of your body. We all know the list, food, exercise, less stress, etc. But our body affects our shalom. And also our mind. Uh, as I mentioned um, before, we have to develop skills, brain skills, to be able to keep ourselves functioning the way we need to be functioning. Um, and here's some of the things that we can do to train our some of the ways we can train things that are trainable in our brain being able to calm ourselves I already mentioned that Um, I use the phrase being able to act like ourselves under pressure which is part of calming ourselves and it's also able to making good decisions Jesus we define excuse me in the nonprofit I work with we define maturity as the ability to stay yourself under pressure Jesus stayed himself, his love for the people around him, while he was being crucified. I have a hard time staying myself when I'm tired, when the guy cuts me off in traffic, or I just need to go to bed, you know. Um, Being able to create create appropriate attachment with other people, that's a brain skill. It's, It's taught primarily when you're young, when you're an infant, a small child, but sometimes we don't learn that. Uh... The ability to return to joy from major negative emotions. If I get do something and I really, really screwed it up and I'm feeling a lot of shame, can I come back to peace easily? Or if I get really mad at you, do I hold it forever? Um, and one of the brain skills is to learning to override the limbic system, which is a part of your lower reptilian brain that is your fight or flight. Like something's going on and it's like I'm going to run or I'm going to fight. What happens is that information from that part of your brain gets sent up to your prefrontal cortex. And if your prefrontal cortex is trained, it goes, oh, hon, that's okay, it's no big deal, you'll be okay. If you don't learn that, you overreact to things. So one of the things we can do, oh, and the last one is empathy or mind sight, being able to tell what's happening with you by looking at your face and watching your body language. Those are skills. So we can help teach ourselves in community and if, the good news is if you didn't learn these in a good, healthy family like we should, we can still learn them. It's not too late. Okay. <clears throat> and then there's also experiences that interfere with our shalom that we shouldn't have had. Um, things like trauma and abuse, which can cause dysfunctional brain wiring. Um, an example is that the child who lives in fear all the time and somebody raises their voice too loud and they, they start to panic and they start to act out and then we label them oppositional defiant disorder. You know, Somebody got hit when that tone of voice happened in their house and so they're panicking but they're not cooperating with the teacher so that's another example. Or just poorly developed attachment. But those are things that we can work on and change. Um, some solutions to those would be things like healing prayer. Of course, I'm a psychologist. Therapy. And also becoming a part of a healthy emotional community. And I am so pleased that this is one of the healthiest, emotional, caring, mature congregations I've ever been part of. Good 
brain skills and maturity skills rub off. We learn to act like our people. And I'm just excited about that. And Jesus gave us some other things about shalom. Uh, things we might sound a little more like rules. Um, some, so some of the do's example. He said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So some examples of some do's. Forgiveness. I mean, we, we think of these as the rules. But what happens when you don't forgive people? Unforgiveness is how we punish ourselves for what someone else did to us. <laughs> so if I had that on Facebook the other day. Um, in another, another scripture, remembering the words the Lord himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It requires cognitive and emotional maturity to have joy when you're giving. Two-year-olds don't do that very well, and that's normal. But when we become an adult, we can actually experience more joy giving it all to someone that we love and care about. Another one, uh, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As members of the body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. We now know that gratitude or appreciation or thankfulness creates serotonin in our brain while you're doing it. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter you don't have enough of when you're depressed and sometimes when you're anxious. So if we learn to practice appreciation, we create better brain skill, or better brain conditions. Go think. We had a God who said, worship me. What's worship? It's appreciating God. Be thankful at all times. He was a pretty good neuroscientist, I think. But that was for us, not the narcissist who needs you to, us to bow down and say, oh, you're so good. It's the godly, loving Father who says, this is best for you. And some examples, we've got lots of examples of don'ts. I mean, we can read all kinds of scriptures, but things like hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, all that that's in Galatians. He didn't say don't do that because he wanted to rob us of something. It's kind of like me look at my three-year-old grandson saying, Julian, you know, honey, I can't let you play in the street. There's cars out there. They'll run over you. He says, honey, don't get in those fights with people. They make you miserable. And even if you win, you're still miserable. <laughs> He's not taking away the fun stuff. You know? So in summary, the scripture that I think is one of the keys is, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like this, is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. True shalom also comes from loving ourselves the way Jesus says to. Not indulging ourselves, but treating ourselves the way he tells us to treat ourselves. And then we are able to then have the capacity, the energy, and the wisdom to love other people as well. And here's some things that we can practice with shalom, uh, to increase our shalom. I already mentioned appreciation, and we can get more serotonin from our, in our brain. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, First Thessalonians. Another thing we can do is tell joy stories. Um, the people I work with define joy as, I'm glad to be with you. That look in, in somebody's face who really cares about you when you walk in the door. Or for me, when I come into the house at my grandkids and the little guy goes, Grandma! And I go, Yay! 
<laughs> you all you all know that feeling, whether it's whether it's a spouse, a boyfriend, a child, a good friend you meet in the store you haven't seen in weeks. And just tell share those kind of stories with each other. Talk about the love and the good experiences you have with them. If I tell you one of my favorite experiences with my grandson when I was there the last time, you will have joy in your brain. We have a tendency to share complaining stories. What if we every time we at least told one good story for every complaining story we told? <laughs> okay, we can hang out with Jesus. And by that I mean learning to have an interactive dialogue with him. Um, to be able to sit in his presence and just talk to him about our day. It might be something good. It might be something hard. It might be just, what do you want me to know today, Jesus? Because the people we spend time with are the people we become like. Um, learning um, the maturity... Okay, I'm sorry. Then learning whatever maturity skills we have not had. I gave you the list earlier. There are ways to learn all of those. I can help you learn about that. Okay. <clears throat> learning calming skills. We've had that. Uh, be angry, but sin not. One of the things that came together for me on this in this lesson was to be able to act like Jesus did when I'm angry. First of all, I have to only get angry at the things he would get angry at, not all the other things I get angry at, like when Doug didn't do what I asked him to do when I asked him to do it. You know, To be angry when he would be angry, that is about my heart. But I also have to have the skill to execute the behavior that he would execute. So if, say, you did something wrong to me, and I'll, I should be angry about that, how can, do I have the skill to talk to you about that calmly, respectfully, and with your best interest at heart, while I'm angry? <laughs> okay. And then, of course, we have calming skills. And then there's a, a, in various versions of healing prayer that help you with that. Okay, so how can the church support this? Support growing more shalom within our community. I believe the most important thing is for us to be more and more transformed to being like Jesus. It's not, we can be obedient because we say, oh, I should not do that, I'm not going to do it. Or, oh, I should go do that, okay, I'll go do it. But that doesn't bring shalom. But as we move toward being transformed to being like Jesus, when we are like him, we will naturally do the things he does, and we will experience the shalom from it because it's what he would do. Let me just give you a simple example. It's one I gave Dick. If I was walking through the airport and you were in front of me and you dropped your cell phone or your wallet, I would instantaneously speed up, grab it, call you and say, hey, you dropped this. I wouldn't think about it. I wouldn't assess, well, maybe he's got a good American Express card in there I might be able to use. Or maybe uh, I could give the cell phone to my friend. There would be not a second of any of that kind of thought. Because that place in my life is transformed like Jesus. I believe that's what Jesus would do. So as we look at what we're not doing so well, how do we allow Jesus to transform us, to spend time with him, and spend time with people who are like Jesus in that way to learn to be like him. And I, I do think, that I just love the scripture that uh, Doug read, and thanks for reading the whole thing. I love that. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. 
and we who all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Being transformed. Now, we can work harder at being transformed, and that will bear fruit if we're doing it in cooperation with Jesus. But if we just work harder to follow the rules, we're not going to get much more joy from that. We're not going to be able to, we're not going to have shalom from just being rule followers. Shalom is about relationship and all the relationships between you and God, you and yourself, you and others being in the place it's supposed to be. You can do the right thing, but not have it coming from the place that's like Jesus. It will not satisfy you. It will not give you shalom and it will not bring you joy. Just trying to think what I'm forgetting. So if we can focus on guiding people into spending more actual time with Jesus, not just learning about him, but being with him and being coming like him, and to spend more time with each other and learning from each other the ways we have mature people who know. There are people here that have maturity skills I don't have. If I spend more time with them, I'll be more like them. Um, and I did make a handout that's in the foyer. It looks like this with some resources for all the skills that I just put on the screen. It's back on the table. So our key biblical truth for today is internal personal shalom requires our cooperation to be transformed, to be like Jesus. So doing what he would do will flow out of us. And the picture I have is a boat with a sail flowing across the Hudson River versus a kayak with a paddle and I'm paddling upstream. You know, If I'm transformed, I have a sail and that works a whole lot better. So in the past, in Genesis, we were created in perfect unity with Father, our Father, and we had Shalom. Then that was destroyed by sin. Now we're working with the Jesus help to be remade in his image. And we know in the future, according to 1 John 3, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. It will happen. The further along the journey we get here, it's not about whether we're saved or not. It's about how much joy and blessing and shalom we get to have on the planet here in the years we have to go. For we shall see Jesus as he is. So I'd like each of you to take just a minute and, at, and just kind of connect with the Lord and ask him, is there something he wants you to think about for yourself from the things that I've shared? I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Lord, we invite you to show us what our next step is.
Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you created us for shalom. And when we broke it, you made a way to bring us back to you. I pray that you would show each of us the next step that you have for us in creating shalom in our lives, with each, with ourselves, with each other. Give us eyes to see what our life could be like your way in the areas that it's not your way now. Help us see what we're working to create, to enjoy, to be blessed by. And Lord, we choose to cooperate with your plan and your purpose to create shalom in our lives. We choose to trust you that what you're doing is best and we give you permission to give us experiences, relationships, some of which might not even feel good at the time, to move us more and more to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.